from the center of the universe and the home of your Grey Cup champion, Toronto Argonauts. It's the X's and Argos podcast. Welcome to the X's and Argos postgame reaction podcast brought to you by Something in the Water Brewing. As the Argos lose their first game of the season, 20 to seven to the Calgary Stampeders. Before we get into the recap and talk about some of the more serious issues the Argos are facing, including injury concerns with Chad Kelly and Adarius Pickett, both unable to finish the game, let me just tell you a little bit about something in the water brewing. This is a perfect time. This, And if I hadn't just finished doing the, the play-by-play and was, was at home, uh, I would love to grab a longboat pale ale right now because I think that would... This is this is the perfect time for it. I think it would uh, help with the situation a little bit. Something in the Water is located in Liberty Village. They've got all sorts of great beers. They've got award-winning beers. There's an award-winning stout finished second in the world uh, in a stout competition. I think that is is well worth it. It's a it's a breakfast stout. Man, is it good. Longbow Pale Ale, though, the beer made for Argos fans, made for fans of the Double Blue. It's got the X's and O's on the can, the Double Blue can. It needs to be in your fridge, so make sure you pick some up in Liberty Village. Something in the water brewing. So something was brewing in Calgary. Man, the Argos had so much bad luck. Almost everything went wrong for them, and it was all within a span of about five minutes that everything fell to pieces. So first of all, the defense, I know it probably felt late in the game like you were frustrated because the defense was giving up first down after first down on the ground. Uh, Mills ended up with 137 yards rushing. Yes, that is a lot. The defense was on the field a ton. They just couldn't, the Argos offense couldn't sustain drives. And so the defense was stuck out there. It was like that from the very beginning, even in like in the first quarter, the Calgary Stampeders had the ball for like 11 and a half minutes, which set the tone for this entire game. The biggest thing that we need to talk about right now, though, is Chad Kelly, because Without Chad Kelly, we saw the Toronto offense just completely fall flat. They had seven points in the first quarter. Chad gets injured, and that was it. They don't score a single point for the rest of the game. And it's not like Calgary was blowing Toronto's doors off. Calgary had one touchdown on offense. That's it. One touchdown on offense, two field goals. And they got a special teams touchdown in the weirdest of ways on a Javon League fumble. So let's let's just talk about Chad Kelly first, and then we'll get into some of the recap, because I'm already going all over the place. There's, there's a ton to talk about. There's a lot of other injuries, too. It's just, like I said, one of those games where everything went wrong. You almost just have to throw it away and start fresh tomorrow. So let's talk about Chad Kelly. So Chad Kelly sustained an injury. It looked like when when he was hit, I think it was I think it was Mike Rose that hit him. I'm not even positive now. He was hit as he released a ball. He was trying to hang on to it for as long as he could so that he could get the ball downfield to Dejan Brissett. Uh, Brissett ends up uh, making a play, but there was a holding call on the play, so it all gets called back anyway. Chad sticks it out for a few more plays, but is unable to return back out into the field for the Argos' next possession. It was Cam Dukes that took over at that point. And so, you know, here we are early second quarter, and Toronto's without, not just without their quarterback, they're without their most important player. On the broadcast tonight, Mike Hogan and I in pregame were talking about uh, sort of uh, one-third way through the season 
uh, awards. Who would you award as Toronto's MOP? Who would you give the defensive MVP to? Let me tell you my two picks for those spots. The most outstanding player was Chad Kelly, and I don't think there's any question about that. I think coming into this game, he was the league's most outstanding player. He goes down. Who was my defensive player of the year for the Argos to this point? Adarius Pickett. Wyndham McManus, obviously in the conversation. I think Robertson Daniels in the conversation. Dwayne Hendricks, Florin, uh, Flo Aramalade is in the conversation. I think Adarius Pickett was the most valuable piece on this defense. Both of them go out within minutes of each other after having already lost Jared Brinkman, who is one of the best run stoppers in the league and the Argos' best run stopper. How different does this game look if Jared Brinkman is in the middle there? Because I don't think there's, there's no chance that Mills ends up with 137 yards rushing if Brinkman is in the game. It just doesn't happen. He doesn't allow that to happen. And so it was one thing after another. Cam Phillips had to be taken out of the game a couple different times. A.J. Olette went down with, with an injury. He was able to get back in there. But really, we're talking about Chad Kelly and Adarius Pickett. So I keep getting I keep getting off topic. I'm trying to get back to the Chad Kelly thing, but there's, there's so many things going through my brain here. So Cameron Dukes comes in for Chad Kelly. I thought we might see Brian Scott at some point in the game. It was just Cameron Dukes from the moment Chad Kelly was hurt all the way through to the end of the game. He took every snap. How did he look? Uh, He looked kind of like what we expected he would look like. Dukes, I'm not at all writing off. I think there is potential for Dukes. I think he's a really exciting player. I didn't think he looked lost out there. I didn't think he looked like he didn't belong. But there's a huge drop-off, and we knew there would be. We said this from the from the, the moment the preseason began, that the difference between Chad Kelly and the second and third string guy is so much bigger than it is at almost every position. The only exception to that might be Sam Linebacker. And of course, that's where Adarius Pickett plays. But let me get back onto let me get back onto Chad Kelly for a moment. So first of all, the good thing. Let's let's just calm everyone down for a second here. The good news is that it's not like this is a season-ending injury. At least, you know, we haven't gone through all the evaluations or anything like that. It doesn't seem to me like this is going to be an injury that keeps Chad Kelly out long-term. After the game, Coach Dinwiddie said that he expects both Kelly and Pickett should be able to play next week. Now, he said that may not be what happens because they've got a bye following that. So maybe, you know, as he was as he's talking to us, he's... He's kind of going through the situations in his mind. He's saying, you know, maybe this is a situation where we don't play them next week. We rest them in the bye. That way they've got two weeks to recover and then they both return. Honestly, I wouldn't be surprised if that's what the Argos do. And the reason I say that is because they've done that all the way along with injuries this year. Anytime somebody is ready to go, Coach Dinwiddie has held them back an extra week just to make sure they're really, really ready to go. We saw it with Isaiah Cage. We've seen it with Demonte Coxey this week. Uh, we saw it with Darius Bladuck, who might have been able to give it a go this week, but there wasn't that pressing need to. The Argos being 6-0. and They're still, at this point, I think six games ahead of everybody else in the East. They can afford not to bring both of those guys back if they need to. If they absolutely need to give Cameron Dukes a full week of practice, Brian Scott getting number two reps all week, it would do a world of good for both of those guys. There's no question about it. But I think there's some comfort in the fact that it's not a kind of injury that's going to keep uh, Chad Kelly out longer than that. I believe if this were 
a playoff game, if this were a must-win game, I think Chad Kelly would have stayed out there. The reason I say that is because he remained on the sideline the entire game. He didn't take his helmet off, didn't didn't undo his cleats, didn't do anything. He didn't go in for evaluations. He didn't change into street clothes. He, I'm sure, wanted to get back in the game. I didn't get a chance to talk to him after the game. I was hoping I might have a chance to to ask him a few questions. But but I think he would have said exactly that. I think he would have said, I would love to have gone back into the game. That decision's not up to me. Uh, And, of course, it's probably the prudent decision to, to keep him out. I think he would have said something along those lines. That's my guess. So... So he's out, uh, and let's talk about the quarterback play and what happened from there. It's not like Cam Dukes was just given the most basic of instructions. It's not like he was just asked to throw essentially what Jake Mayer was doing on the other side, just hook routes and smoke routes and, and quicks. He was actually asked to push the ball downfield. He made a couple of throws that were concerning. So the first big drive he had, he leads the team down the field into field goal range and then on a second and long situation, throws the ball in the end zone to Jeremiah Haydell and the ball gets picked off by Moxie. He targeted Haydell a lot in this game. The reason he goes after Haydell so much compared to like Chad Kelly, who only targeted Haydell once last week, is because Haydell and Dukes are getting reps together they have been all season right they're both second teamers and so Haydell is is Duke's number one guy out there in that second unit and so he's really comfortable with them he knows how Haydell runs his routes he's really comfortable that they're on the same page making reads and so it makes sense that he's going to go after him he's going to target him with more balls but where it's unfortunate is that Haydell's not the best receiver on the team you want to be able to get the ball to Devaris Daniels, who was almost invisible today. You want to be able to get the ball to Curly Gittens Jr., who only had two catches today. And instead, you've got Jeremiah Hedell with six targets. Cam Phillips had eight, uh, was only able to bring in four, and he was banged up. He was doing his best to get through this one. But it's it just wasn't ideal to throw Dukes in there. Chad Kelly getting almost all of the reps in practice, leading. That's you know, there's no fault on the coaching staff. That's how this works. And getting thrown in there suddenly halfway through the game, of course, he's going to go to the guys that he's familiar with, that he's comfortable with. So uh, Dukes made two throws that made me really uncomfortable, and neither of them was that interception uh, that Moxie picked off. I don't mind him going for that. He had one-on-one on the outside with a guy he felt comfortable with. He took a shot. I'd like to see Haydell make a little bit better effort coming back to that, kind of turning into a defensive player. The ball hung up. That one was going into the wind, and there was a pretty strong wind uh, going into the Argos' face in the second and fourth quarters, and that one did get hung up a little bit. But yeah, Haydell's got to come back, be the defender, knock that one away, even if you take a penalty. Just don't let Moxie come down with that, because think about how different the game is at that point. Stampeders are up 10-7. Argos are well within Boris Beatty's field goal range. Beatty's been money all season. If that pass is incomplete, the Argos kick a field goal. It's 10-10 at that point with very little time left in the second half. Instead, it's a pick. And now Calgary goes down the field. They don't end up scoring any points. They've got to punt it away on the last play of the half. They punt it to Javon Leak. And Leak, trying to make a play, knows that they're losing going to halftime, knows they're down the starting quarterback is desperately trying to make a play. He starts running before he secured the football. It ends up 
hitting him in the in the right shoulder, bouncing into the end zone and gets recovered for a touchdown. It was just a, a disastrous swing for the Argos. They went from it being 10-10 going to the half to suddenly it being 17-7. And for a Chad Kelly team, 17-7 is not insurmountable. Calgary was only going to score three more points the entire game. They scored a field goal in the second half. That's it. But Toronto really... I guess they came close once in the last drive, but but that was it. Uh, they just didn't they just didn't show enough offensively after that. But but that was a big play. Those those two plays that pick at the end of the first half, and sorry, the pick at the Argos last drive of the first half and the fumbled punt return touchdown were huge plays. <laughs> Again, I've gotten off topic. I've I can't tell you what my brain is doing right now. There's so many things I want to say. I'm trying to say it all at once. Let me slow it down a bit for you. And of course. I invite you to read my post-game recap on 3Down Nation, which will be a little bit more clear. I'll have time to actually type it out uh, to get my thoughts on this one. So the two throws I didn't like from Cam Dukes, both were staring down his receiver, watching guys that he's less familiar with. And instead of looking at the coverage, he's watching his receiver. So one was a dig route to Cam Phillips. He watches Cam all the way down the field. He watches Cam cut across on the dig doesn't see either linebacker who both drift back right into the passing lane because he's just watching Phillips. That's something he's going to see on film and have to eliminate. The other throw, he was following Curly Gittens Jr. across the field. And again, he wasn't looking at the coverage. And what I mean by this is, as a quarterback, you need to know where your guys are. Really what you're looking at when you're playing quarterback, you're really not watching your players. You're watching the defense. You're throwing to where you know your players are and you're throwing it away from the defense. But you need to be way more visually aware of where the defenders are as opposed to your receivers. You're mentally aware of where your receivers are and you're visually aware of where the DBs are. And so with receivers you're not as familiar with, like Gittens Jr., like Cam Phillips, who Dukes doesn't have nearly as many reps with, He's instead staring them down. And so Gittins comes all the way across uh, on a crosser and he's tailed the entire way by the safety. Uh, and Dukes just never really thinks about it and doesn't see him, almost has that ball picked off too. So both of those plays to me were alarming. Dukes had one really nice scramble for a first down. Uh, he stepped up in the pocket. There was a little gap that opened. He ran through it. He's got good speed. He's a really good athlete. I think the positive I took away from that is Dukes didn't try to run it every time. I think you see a lot of young quarterbacks in that situation, guys that have had success running in college like Dukes did. He comes into this game, he runs for a first down. I think it'd be very natural to expect to see him continue to try that. And that's not the right answer because you're not gonna, that's not the way the Argos were going to get back into this one solely on the running of, of Cameron Dukes. I know Crum had some success with that with Ottawa, but it's more than that. You've got to be able to throw the ball as well. So I was happy to see that Dukes didn't keep going back to that. So uh, there's before I transition to Pickett and the other side of the ball, and there's so much other stuff that, that I want to say, let me, let me just talk about a couple of decisions uh, as the game came to close out. I felt like the Argos should have been a little bit more aggressive in the fourth quarter. Once uh, we got down to like nine minutes, ten minutes, I feel like that should have been three downs no matter what from this point out. Toronto's defense was playing well. I just feel like the offense needed more opportunities to score. So third and fives, I think you go for it. Third and six, I think you go for it. I don't even think it matters that much where you are in the field unless you're like inside your own 30, but they weren't in those situations. And then on a crucial third and two with just a few minutes left, 
they called a quarterback sneak, uh, sorry, a, a quarterback draw. I don't mind the quarterback draw call, except that Calgary's looking for that. And they ran a very classic draw, and Calgary had the perfect play call for it. So on this draw, A.J. Olette is to the left side of Cameron Dukes. Dukes snaps the ball. Olette takes off 100 miles an hour to his left as if he's getting the, the quick uh, throw. What that's supposed to do is drag a linebacker out of the box, and now Toronto's supposed to have an advantage in terms of personnel, and Duke should be able to follow that right up the hole for two yards. The motion with Olette didn't take anyone out of the box, and so now Duke is running, Dukes is running into an unblocked linebacker, and it's, it's just a, a smart play call from Calgary, knowing what to expect, knowing you're probably going to get a quarterback draw in a situation like that. I don't mind the play call. It was just one of those things like you're it's it's desperation at that point anyway. It's not ideal. Ideally you're not going for it on third and two in that situation with your backup quarterback. But given what you had, I, I don't mind the play call. It's just yeah, it didn't work out obviously. Okay. Let's get to the defensive side of the ball and the defense in general. Darius Pickett goes down with an injury. To me it looked uh, I I don't think it was it's hard. It's so hard to tell. I don't. I don't know. I don't know for sure. I know from Coach Dinwiddie that we're expecting he'll be back next week, or at least after the bye, that it's possible for him to come back next week. He ran pretty well after that injury. He came running out of the tunnel to start the second half. I actually thought he was going to go into the game in the second half the way that he came out of the tunnel. So, uh, I think that is promising. The problem with Darius Pickett going down and the reason he's the most important Argos player on defense is because they don't have another Sam linebacker. And with this roster, the way it was constructed tonight, this game roster, the only option they had for Sam linebacker in terms of someone with experience was bringing Robertson Daniel down to play Sam linebacker. He's done it before. He played a little bit of Sam in Calgary. The problem is they didn't have anyone who could play halfback. It just doesn't it doesn't work like that. They didn't have unfortunately, they didn't have Jamal Peters dressed for this game. If they did, then you could have put Peters and McFadden at the corners. You could have moved Qantas Stiggers to halfback. He can play that spot. If you really needed to, you could have you could have Peters play that spot. That's not ideal. You could though. And instead, without any without Peters dressed, it you just didn't have that option. The only two the only two options for you in the secondary were Haggerty and Edward. And neither of those guys are going to play halfback. And so what they did instead is they brought Royce Mechie down to play Sam and put Haggerty in as the halfback. And this wasn't really ideal for either of them because Mechie, first of all, he's, you know, he's not out there getting reps at Sam. He's, he knows how to play the position. He's a smart player. He's a good player. But it's just not the position for him. It really isn't. There's such a drop-off between Pickett's uh, ability at Sam and Mechie's ability at Sam. Mechie's not a Sam. That's just not his spot. He's a really good safety. And there's a drop-off from Mechie to Haggerty. And so now you've got a large drop-off at Sam, a small drop-off at safety. But to make it worse, because Calgary is running so effectively, and Mechie's not a run-stopper, he's in the box as the Sam. They had to also walk Haggerty down from the safety spot to play him in the box. And he's not a run-stopper first either. That's not. It's not their skill sets. It's not their strengths. That's not what they're on this football team to do. And to give you some indication of what an issue this was, you just look at some of the stats for Toronto's defense. Who was the leading tackler on the Argos today? It was Robertson Daniel, who had 16 tackles. 16 tackles 
from the halfback spot. If your halfback is making 16 tackles, something's wrong. And that was it. Calgary just decided they were going to pound the run. Toronto's run D wasn't playing well. Winton McManus in, in postgame, um, when asked about that, said he was he was embarrassed. He said he took it on him as a linebacker, the responsibility to run stop, the fact that Calgary just felt so comfortable running the football that they could just jam it down Toronto's throat, and they did. And they did. Um, he took that very personally, but that goes back to the loss of Jared Brinkman. Uh, they don't do that with Jared Brinkman in the game. They don't even do that with Pickett in the game. Pickett is enough of a difference in, in terms of run stopping there. So it just it, it couldn't have gone worse against any other team. Maybe this isn't as big a deal defensively, but Calgary came into this game determined to run the football. Look at look at Calgary's. This is this part is is mind boggling. Mayer completed 22 of 24 passes for 149 yards, 149 yards. Toronto had that many yards completing 12 passes. Mayer completes 22 uh, for that many because they're just five yard passes. He threw so many smoke routes and and, and quick outs and screens, uh, slip screens, quick screens, running back screens, middle screens. They they ran every kind of screen and every kind of quick pass, quick slant, quick hook. Uh, there was. They, they went downfield twice. And by downfield, I'm talking about like dig routes. Uh, that was it. It was going to be a conservative game plan, high percentage passing, taking what Toronto was giving them. But in order to be able to do that effectively, you also have to be able to run the ball and you have to commit no penalties. And Calgary was able to do that. They were the more disciplined team tonight and they were able to play within themselves. They didn't get too tempted to take a shot downfield. That's both credit to to Dickinson and credit to Mayer because quarterbacks get frustrated just sort of dinking and dunking all the way down down the field. And, and offense coordinators hate calling that kind of that kind of a game. And you look at, at penalties at the end of the game. Toronto was seven penalties for 60 yards. Calgary, far more disciplined, five penalties uh, for, for 66. They just weren't going to let their offense get derailed by holding call after holding call. And Toronto's seven penalties, most of those come on offense. Coach Dinwiddie was absolutely furious with his wide receivers tonight uh, for committing penalties, for being offside. Um, there's the the holding penalty as well. I, I thought... Um, I thought Travion Tate had a bit of a rough game. He's played so well those last few weeks. He did not look good today. And in fact, anybody that was going up against Rose did not look good. Rose looked like Rose tonight looked like the most dominant player in the CFL. He was having his way with people. He ran over McKellar on one play, and every time he ended up uh, lined up with with Tate, it was it was a problem. And so those penalties, those holding penalties, they backed Toronto up. And especially when you got Dukes and a quarterback. It's just not a recipe for success. And on the other side, Mayer didn't have that problem because Calgary wasn't putting themselves in second and 18, second and 20 situations. They were being efficient. They'd run on first down for seven yards. They'd break a tackle with almost every one of those runs. That's that's another stat I want to see. I want to know how many broken tackles there were in this game because Mills, Mills probably broke 20 tackles. It felt like on almost every one of Calgary's plays, whether it was a run to Mills or a quick screen to usually Lewis, that uh, they were breaking the first tackle. We saw tackles broken uh, against people in the secondary, against linebackers, against defensive linemen. It seemed like whoever got their hands on on the ball carrier for Calgary uh, was going to let them go. And that those what should have been one and two yard gains 
turned into seven, eight, nine, ten yard gains. And and it was all night long that this happened. But it starts with, I guess it starts with Brinkman. But Pickett is a big deal. Going forward, just with those two injuries, before we get to the other things, next week, if Coach Dinwiddie decides he's going to hold out both Chad Kelly and Adarius Pickett, I think you've got to come up with a better plan than Royce Mechie playing Sam. And you have to come up with a better plan than uh, Dukes trying to run the Chad Kelly offense. Because I think they're very different quarterbacks. So that would be my suggestion. And I also think you should give Brian Scott a look as well. I think it might be something where you, you have both of them for for different plays. Just make it that much more difficult for Ottawa to prepare for. They've got some film on Dukes now. They don't really have stuff on Scott. So just something I'm, I'm thinking about. Hopefully... Kelly and Pickett both respond well when they're evaluated tomorrow. Hopefully things are going well. Coach Dinwiddie feels like, you know what, I think they can both play. Uh, but I, I don't know. Just the way they've gone this year, I wouldn't be surprised to see him rest both of those guys next week. All right. Let's get into some of the other stuff. So uh, let, let's, let's talk about, let's, let's talk about the, the defensive philosophy here. Uh, it wasn't an overly aggressive game that we saw called. Uh, it, it wasn't. I, I don't feel like Coach Mace uh, was as aggressive as he could have been, but I don't think it was the correct call to be aggressive tonight. Calgary was expecting heat. You can see that in their play design to get the ball out quick. They weren't going to take sacks. I think there was one Toronto. Was it one Toronto sack tonight? I think that's it. The the Toronto sack exchange now coming through two sacks. Yeah, that's right. Jonathan Jones had one coming off the edge. And Hendricks had one early in the game. Those are the two sacks. But yeah, Calgary's determined not to let Toronto get to them. And Mace, as he typically does, has his DBs playing off and everything's kept in front of them, which Calgary embraced. But from Toronto's perspective, that's okay. You accept that. You're giving Calgary that. That's part of the plan. Remember, this this loss is not on the defense. This defense allowed 13 points. And anytime the defense allows 13 points, you should win the football game. So it's easy to get frustrated with them and how they couldn't get off the field in the second half. It's easy to say, well, you should have allowed, you shouldn't have allowed 137 yards rushing. You shouldn't have allowed Mayer to go 22 of 24. These these aren't real passes. Those are fine. In if Chad Kelly is in this game, those numbers do nothing. In fact, 20 points does nothing for the Stampeders. That's that's not enough. So I don't, I don't blame the defense one bit. I think you need a different answer next week if Pickett doesn't play, but I don't think the defensive philosophy needs to change. I think next week, suppose Pickett doesn't go, I think you move Robertson Daniel down to Sam. I think you uh, bring back Jamal Peters at corner. You move Stiggers over to halfback. I think that's your defensive look. They're fine. And you keep playing defense the way you've been playing defense all year long. Even the loss of Brinkman, it hurt a lot tonight because Calgary's plan was to, to power run. But remember, he's been a healthy scratch a couple games too. And while I think he is one of the best defenders on the team, it's not like they haven't been able to play and win without him. They have. He's been a rotational piece. It's unfortunate that he was a big part of the game plan today and that he went down so early. And his injury, Coach Dinwiddie was not nearly as optimistic with after the game. It sounded like this one may be a bit more long-term. He was on crutches um, not long after going off, and he needed help getting off the field. A few minutes later, was on crutches, and he, he stayed on those crutches, obviously, to the end of the game. So he'll be reevaluated when he gets back to Toronto, but 
I think we're going to be without Jared Brinkman for at least a while, uh, which, you know, is not good news. But they're, at least they have answers. At least there are answers on the defensive line. They, they've, they've got Oakman. They've got Hendricks in the middle. Um, they've got Deontay Knight in the middle. They can, there are things they can do in the middle of that defense. It's, it's Pickett and Kelly where the concern lies. Uh, all right, let's get into uh, some of the special teams issues. It was such a good game for Toronto last week in special teams. It's not like they played badly today, but uh, it that big play with Javon Leak was really, really costly, uh, where Leak fumbles the ball into the end zone, it gets recovered, and, and that ends up being such a, a big difference in this game. They also had some tr- a little bit of trouble on their coverage. Uh, Lewis for Calgary ended up with 10.6 yards per return, uh, which is is fine, uh, but there was uh, there were a couple untimely long returns mixed in there that are sort of skewing that average a little bit. Um, there was a 23 yard punt return that he had where the Gunners got down really quickly, but no one came down in the second level, and there was all sorts of space for him to shoot up the sideline, um, and so that does need to be improved a little bit. Um, but aside from that. We didn't have the magic that you saw from Leak, but he did well. He still ended up with averaging 10.3 yards of return. That's fine. I think you, you'll take that. They only returned two kickoffs, both for 20 yards. That's okay. But it just it was a day where they needed special teams magic. Anytime your quarterback gets hurt, you need your special teams to contribute. And instead, special teams were, were negative. Special teams were minus seven uh, in this one, surrendering that, that fumbled uh, punt return touchdown. And the, the timing of it was was just the worst right before the half. It's just absolutely crushing when that came. Uh, let's take a look at, at some of the stats and other things that went on in the game. So uh, Dukes ends up 8 of 15, not good percentage for 63 yards. And that pick that we talked about, Kelly's numbers were, were looking good. He hadn't thrown the ball much. Remember, he only played a quarter. He was four of six for 94 yards and a touchdown. I want to talk about his touchdown play for a minute. That was Cam Phillips on the other end of that, a 76-yard touchdown. Uh, It was a bust on Calgary. And I don't believe Phillips was the primary target on that play. But Kelly saw it developing right away, realized there's a bust. And so he wasn't going to miss him. He just floated it in for Phillips. Phillips took it easy into the end zone. There There was nobody really near him. On that play, what was supposed to happen... I believe uh, that I believe that was Walls that was in coverage. He was he's the Sam linebacker, and I believe he had coverage, but he thought he had help over top from the safety. The safety clearly did not believe he was help over top, and so that miscommunication caused problems. And as Walls is is sort of um, as he's dropping back a little bit, uh, kind of clouding Phillips. He's actually run into by the safety. And so they collide. And now there's no way he's sticking with Phillips. So Phillips is, is wide open. But good on Chad Kelly to see that. He missed Phillips on a wide open one. Um, I think it was a couple of weeks ago. Phillips, I think it was against Montreal. He, he completed a pass to Devaris Daniels on like a post route. But Phillips was wide open on a seam. No one with him. And he just didn't see him in time. This time Chad Kelly sees him. It's a nice, easy completion for him for the touchdown. But that was like... Chad was playing well. This is a night and day game if he was still in there, obviously. He was making good decisions. Um, but as soon as, he, as soon as he came out of the game, it just felt like the air got sucked out of the team. And both Wyndham McManus and Coach Dimwitty post-game suggested that there wasn't the level of energy needed there. Um, 
I think it was Coach Dinwiddie that used the term flat. Uh, Wendy McManus talked about uh, how Coach Bell actually gave them a pep talk because they weren't playing with fire. They weren't playing with um, the intensity that they've been playing with every game coming into this one. And Coach Dinwiddie uh, said this may have been the result of players reading their press clippings, reading about how good they were. He talked about this to them all week leading up to this, that the energy level wasn't there, that you can't just sit back and rely on it. I thought he had something interesting to say, too. He he talked about how he couldn't wait for Toronto not to be number one in the power rankings. He's like, I hate that. You know, we're going to be three this week, he says. Great. He would much rather be that than be one and have the target on their back. He's like, we play better as underdogs anyway when we're being disrespected. Um, and and so, and I think that's, that's going to happen. I don't think Toronto is going to be one in the power rankings this week. Now, it, they've got an argument with only one loss. Uh, they've got an argument, absolutely. But I, I think just recency bias tends to dominate in power rankings. So I bet you, you see the Argonauts slip down to two or slip down to three. We'll see. Um, but Coach Dinwiddie, I think, would be thrilled if the Argos were three and everyone's power rankings this week from what he was saying. Uh, back to our stats. Uh, tough running game for for A.J. Olette. They were sort of sitting on that. Calgary was. They, they were watching him carefully. A.J. was seven carries for 32 yards. Uh, that's obviously not going to get it done. And uh, in the receiving game, a uh, bit misleading here. Cam Phillips, the leading receiver with four catches, 94 yards. But remember, 76 of those 94 came on that one play, the other three for 18 yards. And on eight targets, that's just not really good efficiency. Jeremiah Hedel, uh, three tar- six targets, three catches. That's not enough efficiency. To have 22 yards receiving on, on six targets is is not going to do it. Curly Gittins Jr., four targets, two catches, uh, 11 yards. That's not going to do it either. And like I said, those, those tackling numbers, when you look at them, uh, Robertson Daniels, 16, Royce Mechie, seven. Josh Haggerty is next up with seven. Uh, you, you, can't, you can't have three DBs leading your team in tackles. That's a, a recipe for disaster. So where are we now? Number one, Argos fans, do not panic. It will be okay. I promise it will be okay. I don't know if it will be okay for this week. It'll be okay for long term. If, if Kelly and Pickett don't play this week, they will be back after the bye. I, I feel very confident about that. Um, and in a way, uh, Mike Hogan was saying this on the broadcast too. In a way, this could be a blessing in disguise. Last year, Chad Kelly had next to no opportunity to get into the game. McLeod Bethel-Thompson just didn't get hurt. He stayed healthy all the way through the year. He took, he took some beatings, but he didn't get hurt. And Chad took very few snaps all season other than short yardage, like third down and one snaps. If Cameron Dukes and Brian Scott get some action uh, next week, Cameron Dukes already played like almost three quarters this week, at least you've got some reps. At least they've got something they can go on, something they can build on. So if there is an emergency, if there is something that comes up uh, late in the season and you need your quarterback to go in there, at least they've got the reps to be able to do it. The other reason not to panic. The Argos are six and one, six and one. They are way ahead of the rest of the East. If you had say, if I had said to you preseason, uh, after after seven games, the Argos are going to be six and one. You want to take it or leave it? A hundred percent of you would take it uh, because yeah, six and one is way beyond expectations. We thought the Argos would be a good team this year. I think everyone did, 
But 6-1 is a phenomenal start to the season. So that's okay. A loss to Calgary, it's not a division opponent. Also, weird stuff happens in Calgary. They scored two points in Calgary last year. So seven this year is a, a vast improvement. And the team played well defensively. Calgary is not nearly as bad a team as their record showed. And Toronto only let Calgary score 20 points. So a lot of positives you can take away from that. And looking at Calgary stats, you ignore Jake Mayer's 22 completions. So what? He had 22 completions for five yards, a completion, essentially. That you'll, you'll give that up any time. The rushing yards are misleading, too. Yes, uh, Mills had a great game, but he had 27 carries. It's not like he just had 15 carries for 137. 27 for 137. Uh, he wasn't busting long runs. His longest run of the night was 13. He had a few of them that were 10. But they weren't running all over the Argos. The Argos just got tired out because they've got DBs in there um, as their primary run stoppers at the end. So, again, that's not something I'm really worried about either. I think there's some real positives. I thought I thought they did a really nice job taking away, taking away most of Calgary's receivers. They had nothing downfield. Their longest pass completion was 14 yards. Um, they'll take that. Uh, if you look at Calgary's stats from top to bottom... And you showed me those stats pregame. I would, I would have thought that the Argos had won this one handily. So not really a concern there. Uh, we will, we'll have to, um, we'll have to reevaluate things as, as the week goes on. I can't wait to talk to JB about this. He's still on, on vacation, and so hopefully he'll be joining me uh, for our pregame walkthrough as we get you set for Ottawa this Sunday night. It is back at BMO Field. If you don't already have your tickets, get your tickets to this Argos game. The Argos need your support. There's going to be a pretty good crowd on hand. I've got some of my family coming down for this one. I know tickets are selling really well. Get your tickets. Go to Argonauts.ca. Pick up your tickets. Uh, it's a great environment. It's it's a great deal. And uh, maybe it... Um, Maybe it uh, would would be um, uh, a good idea to get out there and help cheer on some of these guys that may be in there in place of Chad Kelly, may be in there in place of Darius Pickett, because they will definitely need your support. Well, that will just about do it for us on this post-game reaction podcast episode of the X's and Argos podcast. Uh, McMahon Stadium, the Stampeders 20, Argos 7, Argos fall to 6-1. and one. The Stamps now up to three wins. Uh, for the vacationing JB, this is Ben Grant saying so long, and may all your pre-snap reads be good ones. I'll see ya.